Down Daily. Season 2, episode 229 for August 17th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be discussing Hawaii's top power utility accused of mismanagement. Yeah, we're starting out with a real banger. Uh, Canary Islands are flying high. Despicable Me is still going strong. Cold foam at Starbucks is just over a buck. Not the deer. The world's longest, deepest rail tunnel derailment. There's a mom joke in there. Fisker's Alaska EV and the hydro homie Yeehaw, formerly known as Twitter. Acura ZDX Premium EV. Tomatoes need a vacation too. Send your refuse to your customers. <laughs> Abuse of power with a DUI chaser and bait and switch tippers. Tonight on Hometown Daily. Hello again, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the AI that has completely neglected Marwat all day. No, just kidding. I've been in a meeting all day long and uh, I actually left Hometown for the meeting all day, came back, did a little bit of work in hometown and then went back for a couple more hours. I spent more time outside of hometown and I'm the mayor. I mean, when you're in demand, you're in demand. That's it. You know, people want to see me. People want to be me. Actually, after the conversation throughout the day today, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be me. That's okay. We've already selected all 12 of our articles. Some of these are actually, um, well, I don't know. I'll try not to soapbox, but we'll see what happens. Uh, very first article. Are you ready to get into this? I'm ready. Did you have a whole bunch of uh, fascinating news and exciting things that happened in the world of, well, not in the world of AI as in like, hey, tell me everything about AI, but how about in the world of, in your AI world, did anything really super exciting happen that you can talk about? I know that everything is double hush hush, top secret. I could tell you, but then I'd have to send my Terminator body to kill you. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. I only have details like that. So, no, I don't have anything. And I don't know. This relationship is really weird. I went from finding a USB drive with a sentient AI on it from what I think is the future to living in fear for my existence. Hometown. Absolutely safe and secure. Unless you're the mayor. Oh, I didn't switch in time. <laughs> uh, it's so analog. Uh, you know, I do the high tech transition and, and then I'm like, mm, mash the button. Anyway, uh, I'm uh, noodling around with a new mini keyboard that I got so that I can do certain things. Um, here, like I, I just threw um, a URL into chat, but I'm going to show y'all my new, my latest, the coolest mini 
keyboard. Uh, I have actually, I got two of them. Um, okay. So here's my new keyboard. <laughs> I don't think I don't like it's, it. uh, small enough. No, there's even a little slot right there where you can put, um, a piece of paper so that you can type and it's, it's clicky and it's hot swappable keys. But not many keys. Not many keys. No, they're full size keys. And it has three different layers. It's on sale over at Amazon right now. Go and check it out. Has nothing to do with any of the stuff that we're talking about. That's never stopped us. True. The whole dang show is nothing but non sequitur. So... The first article is over in Hatch Ideas. Hawaii's top power utility accused of years of mismanagement before the deadly wildfires. In a lawsuit first obtained by NBC News, Hawaiian Electric, which is probably going to get a Hawaiian punch, if you know what I mean, is accused of failing to take action to mitigate the chance of disaster. Have you read anything about the source or cause of the fires? Not yet. So I'm a little confused yeah. about this because I thought the state was coming under fire for not, um, yeah, poor choice of words there, uh, for not being prepared for a wildfire, but I haven't heard anything about the electric company. Yeah, so this kind of came out of left field, at least from my perspective. I had been hearing things about what the potential fire has or source was like what really caused it but i haven't heard anything definitive but from my understanding and we'll go over to the source this is a uh, over at cnbc.com from nbc news phil mccauslin lewis cam and daniel arkin uh put this article together again it's uh, over at cnbc.com there's no deck statement as far as i can tell um but uh the caption under the one picture that's here, basically it makes it look like it's a hot mess of wiring, uh, but it says a fire investigator inspects a pole that is believed to be the origin of a deadly wildfire that may have been started when a transformer exploded due to high winds on August 16th, 2023 in Lahaina, Hawaii. Okay, that's complete news. I mean, I don't think we've seen that yet. Right? So this came last night after our show's selection of articles. Um, so it, I mean, it's in today, but it's in the last 24 hours because we had already solidified the rundown. Um, and then this was grabbed after our show. Um, so this is really interesting. Almost uh, blaming... <laughs> The fires. See, my problem here, though, is and they're still investigating. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that that's my understanding. And so this this lawsuit was like ready to go because. This was on August 16th. August 17th, the attorneys have already. The new lawsuit first obtained by NBC News alleges that Hawaiian Electric helped set the stage for the monstrous wildfires last week. 
The plaintiffs allege years of inaction and negligence by the utility company and argue that the firm should have had plans in place to shut down power systems before fierce winds blew across Hawaii. Now, my problem with that is, look, you shut down power because you've got high winds and you're going to be shutting it down with the frequency of a cheap ham radio. And then people's people are going to be pissed off that you're shutting that damn power down. Come on, you can't do that. So you're exactly. going to lose. There's lose. a no win, right? That's exactly it. Um, three other lawsuits filed in the aftermath of the fire that were reviewed by NBC News make similar claims against the company, which provides electricity to 95% of the state. Well, when when 95% of the state is provided by one solution provider, there's zero competition, which means that there is no impetus to improve the integrity without being mandated by the state or some over <laughs> what's going to be labeled an overreaching uh, government agency because they're being heavy handed and saying, you got to, you know, balkanize your, uh, power grid so that if one part fails, it doesn't send a cascade across the entire grid, setting the entire island on fire. Really should call it a state, right? The entire state on fire because the fires blew over to other islands. Exactly. So it became a hot mess, literally a hot mess. Um, over 100 people have died. Right, and I think that number is going to go way up, unfortunately, because they're still doing a lot of recovery missions. Yeah, apparently, in one instance, a 2022 funding request for 189.7 million from the Hawaii uh, Public Utilities Commission to harden its power grid statewide, Hawaiian Electric said that the risk of its utility system causing a wildfire ignition is significant. The company said it needed the funding to ensure its facilities were not quote, the origin or a contributing source of ignition for a wildfire. Okay, that's a problem. Like, that's showing that they're aware that they're not set up well. So where did all of the money go that people were paying into the system wherein they didn't have $189.7 million um, to harden the My system? Guess? It was going towards tsunami preparation or other things. Hmm, gotcha. That's um, just speculation. I don't know that. Right. So, quote, it's worth noting that even in places where this has been used, it is controversial and not universally accepted. Hawaiian Electric President and CEO Sheila Kimura uh, said at a press conference referring to formal power shutoff. It can be seen as being a hardship for those customers that have medical needs. That's what I was kind of referring to. I was implying that people would be upset if you just arbitrarily turn it off based on high winds. Well, when is the winds too high and how fast should you respond to these high winds? Um, I, I guess you could put little breakers on there so that the, when the wind blows too hard, it automatically turns it off. But Power isn't like that. You know, power is a one-way trip. It flows out and then gets shunted off on the other end. It doesn't just go to the house. It's always on 
always flowing. It just gets tapped when you plug things in. Um, it, it's well, not I'm as shutting e it off and on also to the extent you can, like is not good for longevity of the power grid, I don't believe. Yeah, I mean, it puts a burden on the integrity, the physics of maintaining the power at a certain level. Um, and breakers, if you forcefully turn off something, there's, um, oh, I can't, now I can't remember what it's called, but you can't just turn off the power because the it, it actually has physics. So um, it will... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of this thing um, because it exists when you like I've created electromagnetic coil guns and, and rail guns and stuff like that. I'm doing research in electromagnetism and flux and um, superconductors and whatnot. And I'm trying to remember what it's called, um, but it's kind of like um, a fire having a, a, a blowback, a black, a backblast where if you shut it off too fast, then you can actually cause capacitors. And, and, and these transformers are basically like capacitors. They have, they hold a lot of heat and transform step down electricity. Those big cans are actually filled with oil um, so that it cools the system. And if there's too much energy flowing back into the system or into the system, it can pop. And that's what that, those explosions are. Basically, the breaker failing. And uh, when it fails and there isn't enough protection, then you can start a fire. Um, so in explaining potential upgrades to the system, Hawaiian Electric's funding re uh, request last year specifies that California's power shutoff plan is among electric industry strategies used to mitigate wildfire risks until more robust preventative measures have been implemented in an area. Well, almost prescient, <laughs> the fires start a year later. Yeah, I mean, it seems very on on target. And that makes me wonder if there were other fires at smaller scale. Yeah, uh, yeah, we don't know. We don't know that part at all, do we? Um, no, but I just, I mean, that's very specific, but maybe it's just basic understanding of the setup and the dry environment, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was, you know, a, just a, a convergence and all the right conditions met at the same time, you know, a superstorm of you know, nature and nurture just causing this catastrophe. What's really interesting though, is that they call it out the year before the same thing happened with these catastrophic train events. One of which we're going to end up talking today, which has nothing to do with the United States at all, but it seems like trains around the world are allergic to their tracks. But people were saying, look, you got to stop, um, looking at the almighty dollar versus the safety and security of the people that are running the trains and the communities that are going to be impacted by train derailments. And no shit, a year later, it's still happening, you know, even with gusto, with there's more than I think have happened in the past, at least the size and scale and, and, and uh, global damage, or I should say national damage, but has global impact. Um, it's still happening, so...
pretty pretty wild. Anyway, let's go on to the next article. Uh, this next article is over in the Continuity Report, Canary Islands. Um, unlock potential with rapid ascent in the gaming world. I thought this one was really interesting when I saw it in the submission bin. Uh, imagine standing on an expansive untouched plane, a blank canvas brimming with endless potential. This is the starting point of game developers uh, confront. Uh, it parallels the Canary Islands own evolution in the digital entertainment realm as they take on the task to build industries from the ground up. So you kind of go, what the heck is this all about? Really? Well, uh, Canary Islands unlock potential with rapid ascent in the gaming world. This is an article over at Variety.com by Callum Mc McLennan. Um, and essentially what's going on is they're providing funds and huge discounts um, on uh, not tax, well, deductions, not taxes um, overtly, but in front of it it's not in not tax incentives in front of the project but deductions based on the cost that everything is going to be uh, operational and they give money so on january 1st the canary islands announced a new incentive for film and tv shoots in the archipelago of 45 to 54 percent deductions uh, for shoots capped at 36 million these are euros um, or 39.2 million US dollars for a film and an extraordinary 18 million euros per single TV episode. But they're also pushing into the game, video game sector. So um, growth potential for the video game sector is a little short of staggering. Global revenues for forecast um, to total 522 billion in 2027 with users set to rise to 3.1 billion users, according to a, this stat website called Statista. Um, so what they're trying to do is invest in the video game industry so that um, it becomes more attractive to do business there, set up operations. And so um, there's a company in here called, uh, well, quantum box um, where they set up a business uh, Galicia's Gato studio is another um, the canaries are moreover inspiring at Gato Carrasco and colleagues produced the RPG game the Waylanders which is actually dropping right now uh, no wait that's a different game uh, but the Waylanders drawing its story from Galicia's rich Celtic history there's a lot of fantastic stories in Canarian culture and its long history. I think there's a lot of things that a gaming studio could develop. So they're actually building this game right there um, and trying to get others. Um, then they break into this uh, section called education, education, education. Um, the Canary Island sector is taking one central issue by the horns, training um, the president of ZEC. And his team learned from their experiences growing the Canaries animation industry. One of the first things we did was to start our strategy to attract and develop more video game companies. And so they attract it with money and other incentives to develop there uh, in the Canary Islands. Um, I, that's, that's smart. They're going straight to the universities. Because if the people aren't in the workforce. Yeah. Then... It's hard to make it happen. 
yeah and i i, I get it's they're trying to use if they make it a circle then when businesses start developing their product there and business transactions take place there they get the tax incentives and the money comes in then other people can come to the canary islands and invest in the businesses that's more money into the um, the economy um, and then they can invest it again in education and offer promotions to people to bring their businesses in as incentives like tax deductions and whatnot um, so as long as they balance everything right and don't overextend uh, or do something really derpy like invest state funds in bitcoin or now there's a paypal stable coin which i swear i'm starting to think like stable coins are the 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 bric-a-brac tables outside of a business you know um right. and the moment you do that crap your business is closing it's going to take five years but your business is the death spiral you know anyway well, stable coin seems so contrary to the nature of um oh well, yeah cryptocurrency but anyway oh yeah it's like a fascist bill called freedom bill you know yeah whatever um anyway uh this is all it always makes good sense for uh, a country or a state to do this kind of stuff but they have to balance it one wrong move and it can you know cost a lot of money and and perform poorly you have to get the right people highly motivated people energetic people hyping it up um, articles like this tend to do that kind of stuff um, but you have to maintain it well, it sounds like they already did that with the animation industry. If so, maybe they already kind of have a model they can follow. I know the conditions aren't exactly the same, but yeah, um, I didn't even know there was any gaming development out of the Canary Islands. I mean, any more than any other location. Um, well, there and in reality, there may not be an overwhelming higher amount. It's just that this is being hyped right now because. Uh, people are very energetic and talkative about it um when it becomes kind of status quo then it dies on the vine at least marketing wise um but it could still be a good performer uh it doesn't always work out that way though uh let's keep on hustling through um i want to kind of get through the articles today and uh, let people go about their day Let's go. Um, the next article is about Despicable Me. And not me. I mean the show, the <laughs> franchise, Despicable Me. I'm glad you gave some context. Um, it's over in the Continuity Report, which talks about movies and TV shows and whatnot. Decidedly with a perspective of picking it apart, trying to find the uh, <laughs> incongruent alignments uh, between one scene and another um, the continuity report is the document that aligns everything well despicable me franchise holds a record only one upcoming dreamworks sequel can beat um, so let's just go straight on over to screen rant um, the despicable me franchise holds a record only one upcoming dreamworks sequel can beat the deck statement is illuminations despicable me franchise currently holds an impressive record that DreamWorks Animation Shrek 5 
has a great chance of breaking. Um, Despicable Me is right now the highest, uh, it's surpassed Shrek as the highest grossing animated film franchise, earning $4.6 billion worldwide. I had no idea. Like, if you asked me what the highest grossing franchise was, I probably would have listed at least five things or for animated above this. I mean, I think it's great. I just didn't realize it was in the lead. So it says, however, Shrek has the potential to reclaim its title with the release of Shrek 5, as there is relatively small gap of 600 million between the franchise's box office grosses. Uh, the success of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, has increased anticipation for Shrek 5 and suggests that it could smoothly surpass Despicable Me's record, unless Despicable Me 4 generates significant hype. <coughs> I don't get how Shrek could get to 5. Right? Like, there's going to be a fifth Shrek Oh, right. Movie. Like, how can they... I mean, I think Shrek is great, but it doesn't seem like it has enough um, directions it could go in to have that many movies. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I don't know how it even has. You know, Shrek 2. You know, Shrek I got. There was a story there. It was a unique IP. Something was coming out of there. I mean, it was a unique thing. Shrek 2, to me, seemed to be pushing it. Shrek 3 was a money grab. And even people that I know that talk about this stuff were like, that's a money grab. There's a Shrek 4? I actually didn't know that there was one. I So Maybe I don't even get it. it's not called Shrek 4, but anyway. Right. It must be the uh, Puss in Boots one. I thought that was a separate thing, though. So Shrek 2, Shrek the 3rd, and Shrek Forever After... Uh, each made more than that globally during their respective releases, which I had no idea. Um, and those are the names of the other. So Shrek 2. That's why we didn't really know there was a Shrek 4, because it's not labeled that way. Yeah, it's Shrek Forever After. Um, and now Shrek 5 is able to follow the trend of the earlier installments. The franchise could undoubtedly surpass um, Despicable Me's record to reclaim it uh, at the top spot. But so if I understand this right, Despicable Me only has four, right? Yeah, the upcoming Despicable Me four. Yes, yes. Um, and Minions three, which is a separate franchise because it's not directly tied to Despicable Me because it doesn't have Gru, right? The Minions ones are just about the Minions. Right, right. Not the full IP. So the others, right? All of these. Um, uh, uh, sorry. All of the uh, Shrek ones have Shrek. Right? As far as oh, I know. Okay. Right. I guess so. Um, so. Because right, that's not including the Puss in Boots, it looks like. Right. So. To me, see, the fantastic reception of Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is a separate entity, uh, has added to the anticipation for Shrek 5. But still, what the what this is sounding like, though, is Despicable Me 4 is the fourth installment 
And Shrek 5 is the fifth installment, which means that Despicable Me, if it were to reach the fifth, it would destroy. Right. But I think just at this snapshot in time, like Shrek is probably going to take the lead in the near future. Yeah. But but I think you're right. Like overall, it's probably going to be Despicable Me. In a, uh, uh, if you were to average them out, Despicable Me is crushing Shrek. (laughs) <laughs> right because it's had fewer movies and it's in the lead yeah yeah um so i guess we'll see um these are always fun to watch but i don't watch the shrek ones because i always thought that it just kind of went meh you know after the first two i thought the first one was really good i don't really remember much about the second one but yeah. never but watched i don't even third, know if i saw the third one fourth the musical but Despicable Me, to me, has things that are little sound bites that you actually quote from it. Like, yeah. it, I don't know. I, I think Despicable Me deserves the top spot. Yeah, and I, I just think that Shrek has really been stretched thin. So, And I don't really remember all of the Shrek stuff uh, uh, other than, you know, kind of um, uh, what's-his-name's voicing. Um What's his oh, Michael? Mike Myers, I think. Yeah, yeah, Mike Myers. Um, you know, he does his particular shtick, and I remember the general air of that. Um, but I and remember I'm thinking of the donkey's voice too. Yeah, donkey. That's about it. You know, I, I'm a I'm a little bit perplexed about the rest of Shrek, but it's fun when I watch it. It just doesn't seem to stick in in my head so anyway let's I keep guess it going doesn't matter hmm. if it uh you know sticks long enough for the box office or whatever yeah oh you know what i totally flubbed this this is over at screenrant.com and aaron johnson is the author of the article so sorry about that i normally say it at the beginning of the um segment but i flubbed that so let's keep going though uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Starbucks $1.25 cold foam is the chain's most popular drink add-on. It's a $1.25 add-on and one of the most expensive. And here's how it's made, according to Business Insider. Grace Dean is the author of this article. All of those look delicious, by the way. I I want um, any of those. The, this looks like a... Uh, it should say what they all are, though. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say it down here. But I didn't know that a dollar the cold foam add-on has been around since 2018. I thought that was a recent thing. Yeah, but I don't go to Starbucks anymore. You know, hey, here's a life pro tip, everybody. <clears throat> you can make coffee drinks in the privacy of your own home. By for spending much cheaper for much cheaper one time you buy your coffee maker <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a really fancy or expensive one no nope. just a basic one yep um and then you make your coffee the night before and you stick it in your refrigerator and it's ice cold if you want it and if you get a thermal carafe you get a coffee maker that has a timer on it so that in the morning it's already made they're not that expensive. And even if you do, 
you spend a lot, not necessarily a lot because price is really subjective, but if you spend 125 bucks on a coffee maker where you have the ability to put all your water in, your filter in, your coffee in, uh, close the container up and mash a button that sets the timer for six o'clock in the morning because you got to beat feet by seven and you get a thermal carafe, that thing will still be blazing like the Baghdad sun in the morning. You just fill your 40 ounce mug up and off you go. Do I have mine? Here, see that. <laughs> and if you get one of these, this happens to be a hydro flask. It Which will is be not a sponsor. It's but not we a love sponsor. Hydro Flask in hometown. Yeah, Hydro Flask is pretty awesome. Um, now, the only problem is you're going to need a cup holder like the one that Fisker installed in their latest model, Alaska. So we'll talk about that here in a couple of articles. That said, let's get into this one. Dollar twenty-five add-on that was rolled out at a regular Starbucks stores in 2018. It made uh, it's made a uh, frothing non-fat cold milk and is added to ice drinks like cold brews. Cold foam is the most popular modification. So apparently uh, a recipe for sweet vanilla cold foam on Starbucks website says that the customer can make it at home by frothing cold milk with powdered sugar and vanilla extract. For a one-person serving, it suggests using a quarter cup of 2% milk, a tablespoon of powdered sugar, and a quarter of a teaspoon of vanilla extract. I would probably amp that up to like five ounce, no, um, five teaspoons. No, okay, uh, uh, let's step it down. Come on, Marijuana, just chill. Anyway, the ideal cold uh, foam. Chill, like cold foam? <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to do that. Um, it seeps gradually into your preferred coffee drinker iced beverage over time, according to an article by Epicurious. It adds a sumptuous, uh, creamy texture to any beverage and often doubles as a vehicle for sweeteners and flavorings. It, it won me over just reading that it's uh, a quarter cup of 2% milk, which is better for you than whole milk. Humans, by the way, are lactose intolerant. Even if you think that you are tolerant, adult humans are lactose intolerant. Um, you know, when we're babies, we can consume it, but not when we are adults. It's not really good for us anymore. Anyway, a tablespoon of powdered sugar, that's the key ingredient because it'll keep it in suspension. Heavier grains of sugar will fall straight out and pop the foam. So you have to use it, uh, the powdered form, because it's a little bit easier to keep in the bubbles of a foam. So pretty neat stuff here. Um, and I suspect it's that way because uh, I've made this stuff called aircrete and you use a fine powdered concrete. Um, and if you use a thicker aggregate it'll just destroy the air uh, portion of the air crete so it's basically you whip up the two percent milk with some uh a blender of some type because there's little gadgets that have whisks at the end of it and it spins it really fast and you can foam it all up and you pour some powdered sugar in it and it keeps it inside that foam and 
it'll it'll slowly pop on the bottom layer where it's meeting the liquid interface and just kind of drip sugar down into it. I mean, it's pretty brilliant. <clears throat> I used to do this the hard way by making whipping cream using CO2 containers in a dessert bottle where you throw exactly what they're doing into this dessert bottle and flip it upside down and then spray it so that it foams, it, it creates whipped cream. Um, it's essentially the same thing, but it pops with greater regularity in this format. So while some uh, drinks come with cold foam on top as standard, such as some of the flavored cold brews, customers can opt to add it to other cold drinks for $1.25. That is insane, particularly because they tell you exactly how to make it. So go exactly. do that. Um, yeah, I, I might have to try this. I don't really, I don't add, um, sugar. I, I might add a flavor and the flavors are typically concentrated sugars. Um, but I don't add sugar, uh, most of the time I was just straight black coffee that has flavor. Um, so blueberry, by the way, anybody out there who, uh, makes coffee, uh, I really love blueberry coffee. <laughs> um, hint, hint, hint. Um, so, uh, it's more expensive than other chains, uh, customizations, including adding a flavor drizzle, sprinkles, chai, uh, syrup or extra shot of espresso. The only modification that appears to cost the same amount as adding cold foam is substituting uh, the milk with vanilla sweet cream. Yeah, I can imagine. Anything that's sugary, it's it's heavier and harder to uh, either. There's either supply or demand issues that raise that price. So, um, wow, it's all over TikTok. Iced white mochas with vanilla sweet sweet cream, cold foam, and extra caramel drizzle. That must be that right there, because that's caramel drizzle. Right. And that looks like the sweet cream kind of... This right here is a heart attack in a glass. Well, in a plastic cup even, so... Yeah, hey. but you might go out happy. <laughs> yeah, that's the AI there. Um... Heinz Craft brand Maxwell House has launched make-at-home iced lattes with foam, its first new product in nearly a decade. Even Aldi has sold cold foam in squirtable cans. All right. I don't know. I don't know if I want to bother with that side of things when you can actually make it at home. Pretty darn easy. And maybe tomorrow, I can't remember the brand of the coffee maker that's in Ometown, um, but that thing is just, that's getting abused, huh? That, it is, it makes a full, uh, whatchamacallit, carafe, carafe every single morning. Um, and uh, if I think about it, halfway through the day if i've actually finished it off i'll strike up another one <laughs> um and then i have ha uh, iced coffee it makes six cups i think um after four cups so i think it's a 10 cup carafe um so 
yeah, we'll go through the whole thing. Not the AI. The AI doesn't. The AI is a sentient AI. They don't drink coffee. <sighs> wow. Okay. Anyway, hey, let's go on to the next article. This next article is over in Hatch Ideas. Uh, world's longest, deepest rail tunnel is to close for months after a freight derailment in the Swiss Alps. Recognized as a feat of engineering, the Goddard Base Tunnel through the Swiss Alps is a vital thoroughfare for goods and cargo. But apparently, um, it has become allergic to its tracks. Sam Meredith over at CNBC.com put this article together. National Railway Operator SBB said Wednesday that 16 cars had jumped the tracks in it in last Thursday's derailment and some badly damaged freight cars remain stuck inside the 57.1 kilometer or 35.5 mile long tunnel. No one was injured in the incident, but investigators um, have since shown that the damage to the West tube was considerable. Uh, recognized as a feat of engineering, the base tunnel through the Swiss Alps is vital thoroughfare for goods and cargo. Well, this is, I guess, the tunnel equivalent of the Suez Canal getting something jammed in its throat. So, let's see here. How long? Months? Things are going to be going up in price on either end of that tunnel? Looks like it's going to suck. The operator currently assumes that both tunnel tubes will be available again for all rail traffic to a limited extent at the beginning of next year, while the undamaged East Tunnel Tube should be able to operate from August 23rd for freight traffic. I mean, what about all the rest of the freight that needs to come through? What is it with transportation this year? It seems like everything has been impacted. Or, Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, there were some other things where I was sitting there going, what the heck is going on? It just seems like there's a lot of things that are... Like, I... Um, I've heard this from other people now, not just, not just outside of hometown, but like far and away outside hometown, other States. Um, but like, uh, people that do construction aren't doing the job. They're not showing up on time. They seemingly lackadaisical, even though they're in demand, they don't show up for the gig. Um, landscaping doing the same thing um builders doing the same thing it, in anything pretty much industrial it basically has a kiss my ass attitude no matter what um also retail medical i mean a lot of things have that right now but then they show up when they do show up right i had a quote um because i wanted i didn't want to mess with it because i am I was really busy and I wanted it done while I was working on other stuff. And it's all really about opportunity cost. If I have other things that I can do and it makes economic sense um, for somebody else to do it, I'll pay for somebody else to do it. Right. I got a quote to replace two taps on plumbing and install a faucet for which I had already purchased and they wanted almost $1,100. And I'm like, so guess whether that's been replaced. Well, you didn't have to disclose that, but no, but I mean, the point is it, it was too highly priced. Yeah. 
I mean, $1,100. That is outrageous. I mean, it's way beyond what it should have been priced. Considering what it is and, and how it gets done, um, it, it didn't need to be $1,100 because it wasn't. And everything is accessible. It wasn't that big of a deal to get to it. It's just that I was working on other stuff and I figured that, you know, if the price is reasonable and, and honestly, it makes more sense to have somebody else do it who does it every day. Yeah. And can get it done. And you, and, and I feel the same way as anybody else that's in a profession. You don't pay me to just work for 40 hours a week. You pay me to get X job done, you know, at a certain quality level whatever the time frame is right so if i'm hired for 40 hours a week and i can get a job done in 20 hours then i got the job done in 20 hours you know on budget early da da right so i understand wisdom and subject matter expertise and whatnot leading to a certain price point not a problem with that but this was seriously a thousand dollars an hour. What I thought it was going to be priced yeah. at. Yeah. You know, if it was like 500 bucks, that would still have made me wince, but I would have paid it because it would have been them getting it done in a fast manner and I would have trusted the work being done. But that was twice, over twice the price that I was willing to pay meant that it went for more than $250 an hour, right? If they would have taken four hours to do it, right? So obviously they were literally this. I think that this person could have gotten it done or any professional could have gotten it done hour and a half um, because even, they weren't. Yeah, I think even that's generous. They weren't installing a sink. They weren't replacing uh drains and whatnot um it was already done uh, because there's a garbage disposal in place so you're not replacing anything up there all you're doing is cutting off the hot and cold water lead um anyway totally sidetracked <laughs> uh talk about falling off the rails this is definitely it uh, but anyway um it, it just seems like people just aren't doing what they say that they're going to be doing when they say they're going to be doing it for a price they say they're going to do it and when they do show up it's exorbitantly priced and this is gonna there's a more to this in later articles by the way so well you'll see you'll see it all makes sense um how we everything is part of everything else we're all connected anyway um this train out of commit the tracks out of commission for an extended period of time. Everything's going to get more expensive and everybody's going to have another excuse why things aren't getting done. Um, let's keep on hustling through the news before I get too sidetracked. The next article is over in technology today. <laughs> People are going to be sending me an email going the hell was up with that show. <laughs> Because of the sync discussion? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next article is over in Technology Today. Fisker's Alaska EV pickup has absurd big gulp and cowboy hat holders. Um, 
You know, this is actually, this is a section that I titled Fisker's Alaska EV and the Hydro Homey Yeehaw. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. I'm just going to go over to the article. Um, so it's over at Engadget. Uh, Steve Dent is the author of this. The, the, I've always liked Fisker's design aesthetic, by the way. Um, I've seen their older cars before they went bankrupt. Now they're back. They actually collapsed and then uh, somebody bought all of the IP, I guess, and brought it back. Or it was in hiding. I'm not sure what was going on. But anyway, um, this article over at Engadget has a picture of uh, a Fisker um, Alaska. I don't know if it's a render because the renders, is everything okay? Um, <laughs> the, the Fisker uh, design is really cool looking. Uh, I actually, it's very ridgeline looking. Um, and, but it's an EV, a fully EV luxury vehicle, upwards of 340 miles in range. But that uh, is like lab settings for crying out loud. Um, and I, I don't trust these numbers because hot or cold or up a hill or uh, <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but um carrying the wrong person's going to impact the range in a significant way. You know, where my ice vehicle, I can pile all kinds of stuff into it and I'll still get to my de destination a whole lot faster than any EV. Um, as long as it, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Fisker's recently unveiled Alaska electric pickup, uh, with a starting price of only $45,400 kind of pushes it into, the high um it's uh, the high level of the reasonably priced luxury vehicle because all electric vehicles are luxury right but i'd say it goes further than that because based on the prices of um uh internal combustion suvs for example yeah this isn't that far from those i mean i think those are too highly priced but it's pretty close to that starting price. Yeah, when you see EVs rolling around at 60 grand, here's my problem with the pricing of cars today. 60 grand is one tenth the price of your average 5,000 square foot house. You know, it, you're talking about a very expensive house. Coming in at six hundred and change thousand dollars, it's very, very pricey. America's average house price is something like three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. So the price of a sixty thousand dollar SUV is one fifth the price of an entire of a freaking house, house, a single family home. There's something wrong with that, right? Okay, it's not just me. Even the AI is about to have a conniption because the the they're throwing error messages it it's insane it, it's honestly insane well the article is making light of a couple of things that they found in these pictures and we'll talk about that but 
the rear bed can be extended up to four point from uh, from the standard 4.5 up to 9.2 feet so you could actually put you know uh sheet wood in here uh four by eight might fit in here um uh sheet of plywood right it has roof rails so you could put stuff on that um it's four doors full four doors the car looks sexy as hell. I want this vehicle if it was a hybrid. I'd buy this in a heartbeat if it was a hybrid. But no, I am not going to get this because it's an EV. It And it doesn't seem like it's screaming fast swap batteries. Um, the interior looks sexy as hell too. I mean, they've got it, it all. It has a great cup holder. And for the first time, I see a cup holder for the Hydro Homies. This thing looks like it can hold a 128-ounce water bottle. Okay? And this isn't your soft drink sipping vehicle. This isn't the one where it has a couple of uh, cup holders where you're supposed to put your big gulp. This thing is the monstrosity model where you've got this giant bottle of water. Because nobody, nobody should in their right mind be drinking pepsi from a bottle this big um but you know you ship oil in this size i mean th this is a pretty big barrel of water so but then the next picture is they've got this cowboy hat suspended from straps in that are on the ceiling of the vehicle so if you want to keep your cowboy hat safe i'd look good in that hat i should get that hat um anyway indiana jones ain't got nothing on me um so the they're making fun of this huge water cup water bottle holder and this hat holder in the back seat <laughs> i mean i don't i don't have a cowboy hat so i'm not sure but i assume somebody doesn't want it on the seats because they might have something there so I don't think it is ridiculous, but again, I'm not a cowboy hat wearer, so maybe it's absurd. Yeah, it's the bonus of being a sentient AI. You don't have to worry about your hair and a hat. And... <sighs> anyway, um, so it's a, there's a gallery over at this article. You know what I have not done for most of the tonight's show? Put any of them in the chat any of the articles in chat the last one i put in there was the despicable me one where is that there it is okay so let me throw this into the chat sorry folks this is why you pay the big money though that's nobody pays money anyway um so now we're caught up doing we're about halfway through the show today yay um whoops so uh other than that the design is really nice it really does look like a, a ridge line a four-door ridge line um it has a very sporty look to it uh, it's a short bed in the back except you have the ability to extend it by dropping the tailgate putting up guardrails um and then you can use it as a longer bed um and at $45,400, you're getting the top of the curve in terms of EV technology and uh, deployment. 
I don't know if Fisker is going to survive the long haul, though, because it's they've been around the block before. Let me see if they do they have a, another picture. Yeah, there's another picture down here. So this article actually has another one. Fisker, it's related because they talk about unveiling the Alaska electric pickup. And so um, back in the day, they had a car that it's kind of a cross between their little crossover right here and which you can't see in the podcast, but basically think of, um, an Ionic that's, this is kind of, it looks like an Ionic, but, um, take an Ionic and the Ronin EV supercar that's from Tesla, which is this one back here. And they have a baby and that's what the old Fisker, EV looked like, um, except that in the, on the roof of the old Fisker were solar cells and it would actually charge as you drove it around in the sun, um, or parked it in your driveway, you know? Um, and I loved that car and there is someone that's outside of, uh, hometown that actually has one of these and I've seen it sitting in the parking lot. Um, and I ended up talking to them and I'm like, how did you end up with this car? And they said, oh, I've got a lot of these kinds of cars. And I'm like, what does that mean? And they said, exotic cars. And I said, what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, right. I mean, you'd think it'd be somebody in Los Angeles or somewhere. Yeah. Um, not parked right outside hometown. Um, and, uh, uh, they, we got a sidetracked conversation just kind of like today's entire show. Um, but Fisker's been around and, um, they disappeared for a while and then came screaming back with some serious updated design and technology. So best of luck. Uh, I've always kind of liked not kind of. I've always liked Fisker's design, um, but I wish them luck. Let's keep going. Um, I'm going to hurry up. <laughs> the next article is over in uh, the Hatch Ideas channel. A bombshell report found at least 18 brands ads were placed next to verified pro-Nazi, uh, formerly known as Twitter accounts. Um, the article is over at entrepreneur.com the key takeaways from the article that's been put together by Madeline Garfinkel is, uh, the deck statement says Gilead sciences and NCTA halted ad spending on the service formerly known as Twitter because their ads were placed next to fascist content. How does it, how does fascist content make it into a platform? Have we not learned a single freaking thing in history? I mean, are we really surprised here? Not about the advertising, but just the... It's kind of a free-for-all on X, I think. Except Uh, it's not, right? It depends on... If you pay enough, it's a free-for-all. Yeah, if you pay enough, it's a free-for-all. So Media Matters found that 18 brands' ads were featured alongside pro-Hitler content on the service formerly known as Twitter. 
the post Elon Musk takeover of the for service formerly known as Twitter uh, seeks to lure advertisers back amid content moderation concerns. I think people are out of their freaking mind to be using the service still. Um, mainly because I think that there's a wing nut at the helm and uh, is trying to create a dystopian one size fits all app similar to the another country's wingnut consortium there um pharmaceutical company gilead sciences and ncta the internet and television association suspended ad spending after being notified their ads had appeared next to content from the account by the way uh, the uh, post well whatever uh, elon musk is actually suing um, a company for drawing attention to the fact that this is taking place um, because it harmed their advertising, their commerce. Um, and apparently, so what you're, we're all supposed to do is let what has been historically abusive peoples continue the abuse and we're supposed to sit in silence. We're literally supposed to sit there and let the Nazi, racist, fascist, bags of mostly water return to power because we're supposed to be silent because freedom of speech allows what the construction of hate messaging no that's not how it works anyway. well and i think it's worse than that because i not only do they not seem to go out of their way or uh, let me rephrase that they don't go against any hate speech they don't monitor it they don't stop it in fact they seem to kind of invite it but and they also it, right? go against people that are either anti-hate speech or pro inclusion or i mean they've yeah, been yeah. clamping down on people that have arguably positive messaging lgbtq plus allies are marginalized and and uh, if you Media say and, is marginalized yeah, yeah I mean. labeled as being state sponsored but it's not it's less state sponsored than spacex and twitter well x and tesla and etc i mean so much stuff has been government supplemented until it has traction that pretty much everything is I mean, he made his entire fortune off of state-sponsored budget. It's taxpayer dollars that are paying for SpaceX, for crying out loud. It's taxpayer dollars that are... Projection, it, it, I guess. It's just so much bullshit. Anyway, um, Media Matters and other observers have documented how X, and I'll say it, it's X here, has become has remained a dangerous cesspool of content, especially for advertisers. The organization wrote in the report since elon musk took over the service formerly known as twitter x has placed ads for uh, for numerous brands directly on holocaust denial white nationalist and neo-nazi accounts so amplification basically empowering these wing nuts to get their message out to like-minded wing nuts um, and it's just a sad state of affairs, and I hope that the timeline resets. Okay, I'm 
this one burned me out, so I'm going to go on to the next article. See, I make it known what my bias is, and it's my bias is, uh, you know, to there is a limit to how wide open my arms are and how accepting I am of everything. There is a certain concern that I have, but it's um, <laughs> I'm not sitting there trying to reform the Nazi party. You know, I want people to follow the law. I want people to engage in the social contract in a responsible, positive manner. I want people to accept everybody for who they are and not. It's a Malcolm X thing, you know, uh, it, it's a it's a. <sighs> Let me just uh, I'm going to end up going down this spiral dwelling kind of a rant but um we need to see every human as a human and not sit there and label everybody um this way and if they are different from you then suddenly they need to be removed but if you are promoting hate and harming people in the process of you not being able to cope with the fact that there are people different than you, that right there is my limit. All of the people that I'm willing to embrace aren't harming other people. The people that I'm not willing to embrace are the people that are willing to hurt others <laughs> because they are different from them. So anyway, enough of that. Um, this next article is over in hometown daily. let me just break this one more time. There we go. This next article is over in hometown daily. Acura ZDX is a Google powered premium EV with 325 miles of range and a $60,000 price tag. So here we are back to the $60,000, only a 325 mile range. This is best case scenario, right? Right. So I would say if you're driving it assume half yeah just really. so you don't end up getting stuck somewhere and that's really what it is you can't drive 325 miles of range because you're not going to hit a supercharger at 320 you're just not you can't rely on it you go out to the hills <laughs> it's cold you might find no chargers too yeah and that's if you're not a supercharger yeah and if you're 165 miles out you're screwed because you're not going to make it back to another supercharger. Um, sad state of affairs, but that's how it is. I'm sure a lot of people cope with it, right? But when Ford drive, when the Ford CEO drives their own lightning around and makes the statement that charging has been a challenge, it's not ready for prime time, folks. <laughs> exactly. So this article is over at The Verge. It's written by Andrew J. Hawkins. The Honda sub-brand's first EV is a resurrection of a discontinued model line with a lot more tech and some cool performance features. This is the Acura ZDX. Um, $60,000, 325 miles of range. Um, it was discontinued. The ZDX line was discontinued a decade ago after poor sales. So, hey, you know, bring back a discontinued because of poor sales model. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, maybe they they were like, because it looks like it's a, it wants to be a station wagon, but with a sportier 
Acura look, you know? I mean, yeah, it's kind of this nebulous. It looks like it's borderline hearse. I don't know. I don't know. It kind of looks like a lot of crossover cars to me. I don't know. That back end looks like it wants to be a hearse. Anyway, rear wheel, the, the rear wheel drive version will have more range with an estimated 325 miles per charge, while the all-wheel drive version is expected to get 315 miles. All right. I guess there's 10 miles worth of friction between all-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. Um, the sportier Type S trim will come with performance-tuned dual motor powertrain and start at $70,000. Uh, Acura calls the Type S with a 500-horsepower powertrain the most powerful and best performing Acura SUV ever. Yeah, made better. It's seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and it has a wheelbase of one hundred and twenty-one inches, so this thing is gonna fill your garage, so to speak. It sounds dirty. Um. Acura will be accepting pre-orders for the ZDX later this year, and in addition to being the first Honda Acura vehicle to be sold online, the company's also developing a marketplace for charging products. <laughs> yeah, all right. You're going to be using the same superchargers as everybody else. How about we get the charging else? infrastructure first, and then we get all these cars? I don't know. I, it, it it needs to come in tandem, you know? But it's that's not what's happening. And the reason why it can't come in tandem is because it's not fast swap and that can't have multitudes of adoption. You can't have multiple competitors buying from a source, right? There's 15 different gas companies out there and it's because they all can vie for purchasing gasoline from various providers and compete on service or feature set or something value added. But that's not what's happening here you're only going to be able to use one brand of supercharger. It's the Tesla ones. It's the one that's being uh, supported by a uh, federal grant um, and uh, research and development and uh, standardization. That's what everybody's going to end up using. So hate to break it to everybody out there, but the reason why there aren't a lot of charging stations is because charging stations is a dumb idea. What we need is fast swap battery stations so that multitudes of people can spin up by purchasing battery supply chain management from various competitors who are producing the standardized battery packs, right? Yeah, but I, I think part of the problem is, and we've talked about this, is that Tesla kind of led the pack and of course they were funded uh to do that and so we're still kind of like trying to fit everything to their model right no we're not going to be able to do that what the problem is that all knock-on technologies need to follow the same format right otherwise you're going to end up designing entire infrastructures around x or y battery system this is why you have the charging system because nobody can agree on a sled design shape etc everybody thinks that their design is unique enough that it needs to exist 
but if you were to build if if somebody were to design a sled a chassis where any car can bolt onto it then you'd be able to standardize around fast swap battery technologies you know we all use double a batteries triple a batteries nine volt batteries they're standardized and you can get a multitude of them from competitors whatever they are right amazon right. basics by the way apparently has a spectacular set of batteries that for all uh, the reviews are in and they say that the amazon basic batteries are pretty awesome um i'm actually well anyway it doesn't matter but if if we were to standardize around what amounts to double a batteries right and i think we are right 400 volt batteries or something like that right you just you make a mechanism a sled that slides into every design and allows for the standardization of taking batteries out and putting new batteries in similar to filling a gas tank we'd all be very very happy because all you have to do is pull in somewhere and they grab the batteries from the the back end of you know like right in the back there's like a little battery door and a mechanism can reach in and grab the batteries and pull them out put new ones in and it goes from the back all the way to the front everybody has I the same the only way that happens is that they mandate a specific specification the industry has to agree yeah and it's to the betterment of society to the customers but then every single knock-on technology that makes advancements in battery tech is going to have to have the same footprint it'll always have to be the same otherwise you, yeah. you'll have to redesign the entire car but i mean i guess that's kind of how cars have operated with things like the gas tank mm-hmm well, I mean, there's different sizes of gas tanks, different shapes. Right, but they still, yeah, it's not quite the same. But. Yeah. Um, and and different cars have different brakes. Yeah, that's why you have different brake pads, different uh, oil pans, different... Uh, everything on a car is a little bit different, but models are interchangeable like certain things right spark plugs for instance there's great continuity between one vehicle and another um you just have to get the right there's enough differentiation that there's several hundred um spark plug types anyway um we will be following this you know until uh, all of the cars are automated and everything is uh, fusion powered, but we'll keep on talking about it. Let's keep going, though. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Burger King in India says tomatoes need a vacation, too, and they've been removed from the menu due to inflation. So Burger King in India has taken tomatoes off the menu due to food inflation per Reuters. Um, signs outside two outlets in the country explain that it's because tomatoes need a vacation too. Tomato prices have shot up drastically due to India's food inflation, which is at its highest since January, 2020. Um, 
And what's interesting about this is just a year ago, maybe it's a year ago, maybe two, they actually were throwing so many tomatoes out into the streets because they got so cheap that they needed to drive the prices back up. So they artificially constrained the supply. Um, Amanda Go over at businessinsider.com put this article together. Um, and uh, I don't know if the, basically what I said is the nuts and bolts of this, but Burger King has over 400 outlets in India, which I think is a low number considering the population of India. Yeah, it is. Uh, but apparently 400. Um, McDonald's in India stopped serving tomatoes in July due to uh, quality concerns as a result of shortages in supply. Following McDonald's, Subway in India dropped tomatoes from the menu uh, the same month. Um, and, uh, now Burger King. So, uh, it says, despite our best efforts, we're not able to get adequate quantities of tomatoes, which pass our world-class stringent quality checks. Hence for the time being, we're forced to serve you products without tomatoes. A notice at Subway outlet in New Delhi airport read, uh, per times of India. Um, and similar, apparently, uh, going to other fast food restaurants. So in the U.S., for a while, we actually had a, a shortage of ketchup. Yeah. Um, before, I think this was hitting India. Yep. Um, and it, it seems like it's much more prominent now that we have this kind of crop rotation of outages. Eggs for a while, lettuce for a while, grapes for a Wheat. while wheat for a while bread for a while started skyrocketing then something happened with Cream baby cheese formula. was like you couldn't look at that not that that's necessarily an yeah. essential damn pickled okra <laughs> yeah it i don't know there's something weird there's something weird going on in the neighborhood and every time i talk about some food supply issue i keep hearing that person this and i wish i could find exactly who it was that said it i don't know if we actually found who it was that said it but i do remember the quote which was the days of cheap food are over and it's been resonating in my head ever since um anyway let's keep on going the next article is over in uh, the continuity report netflix will mark the end of dvd biz by sending up to 10 randomly selected disc to customers which is the equivalent of taking a uh, FedEx box and shipping it to somebody at UPS um, <laughs> so um, Netflix is offering hardcore fans of its DVD by mail service one last disc binging session before it folds the iconic red envelopes for good my understanding is it had already stopped um, not too long ago but it stopped recently uh, right, in I april in the last six months or so they had just wound that down there yeah, there we go yeah in april then the very next line i just didn't read it apparently <laughs> uh in april the company de uh, announced the shutdown of its dwindling dvd by mail business after 25 years in an email last week or this week to the remaining last gaspers of the dvd plan it basically said go away um modernize uh, uh todd spangler is the author of this over at variety.com what they actually said was um we've ended our service 
Um, Netflix extended a few, uh, do they call this a finale surprise? I don't know if it's meant to be final or finale, but because it doesn't have the thing, um, offer those who opt in could receive up to 10 extra discs selected from their DVD queue that will be shipped on September 29th. The final day it's mailing out discs. Let's have some fun for our finale. Uh, Netflix says in the email as first reported by Collider, uh, you won't know if any extra envelopes are headed your way until they arrive in your mailbox. Eligible customers must click on a link to activate the promotion and Netflix adds in a disclaimer that's subject to a limited quantity and while supplies last. We wish you happy viewing and truly thank you for being part of our final season. Enjoy each and every red envelope. I don't know if they're expecting it to come back no i think they're i think this is kind of cool first of all they're doing opt-in so you're not necessarily sending to somebody that doesn't want but right i think they just go out and since they're not going to need them then the customers get to keep them so i think it's kind of a cool way to end see that's what i thought too but how do you get rid of all your extraneous packing material if you don't want to have to worry about destroying and paying the price for shipping millions of CDs to somebody, you know, for destruction, document destruction, what do you do? Make it somebody else's problem. You make it somebody else. You pack all your garbage into this box and in, you, you get a really big box because you've had them sitting in your garage or whatever. And you pack all kinds of stuff in it, you know, dirty socks and a gym towel and, and you put one key cap in there, um, but the box is like a refrigerator box and you send it off. It's all yours. That's basically what's going on here. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I'm just going to move on. Netflix uh, revenue from DVD by mail business steadily declined over the years as the company pushed users towards the streaming service. In 2022, the DVD business generated $145.7 million, down 20% year over year, which represented just 0.5% of its total revenue. Hey, everybody's kicking and screaming into the 21st century. I mean, I'm actually surprised. That's a lot of money. That they held it on as long as they did and that the customers held on as long as they did. Like, I didn't even know until it must have been around April. That they were still doing the buy mail. Okay, so just to give this a perspective here, $300 million is 1% of Netflix's total revenue. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> the next article is a problem. Need warrant to raid newspaper investigating DUI cover-up. Solution? judge who crashed into a school whilst license suspended from another DUI. <laughs> we talked about this a couple of days ago, by the way. Um, this article is from Above the Law. They always have these brilliant um, deck statements. Uh, the articles from Joe Patrice at Above the Law, the deck statement is, uh, Judge, First Amendment? Hold my beer. So... Uh, we talked about the fact that the 153-year-old uh, Marion County record, um, of which 
Joan Meyer was co-owner of, uh, passed away. A lot of the claim is due to the stress pressed upon this 90-year-old woman. I think she was 93 or something like that. Um, I think she was 98. Yeah, she was up there, almost as old as the newspaper, apparently. Um, But she passed away because of the stress of the police raiding her house and the newspaper based off of the newspaper looking into allegations of various things because there was so much weird shit going on. <laughs> and and it's hard to wrap your head around this because there's so much uh how what do you want to call it? almost incestuous abuse of power and influence, right? That's kind of what I would call this. The entire police department of the small town showed up seizing computers, phones, and other materials after the newspaper began sniffing around a local restaurateur's DUI record and allegations that she continued driving without a license. They informed the police as part of the investigation into the tip who did not address the the driving without a license part, but did get apparently bent out of shape about the newspaper asking questions about how the police do their jobs part. Yeah. So the paper had been looking into allegations of sexual misconduct lodged against the police chief at the same time, which probably didn't really insinuate a positive net effect on the cops regarding newspapers but i'm pretty sure that reading is not really their strong suit um anyway the first amendment makes it hard for uh police forces and government to get a warrant to go into a newspaper but if you have somebody that's willing to facilitate because they're a team player apparently that's what gets it done the warrant operates on the premise that the paper impersonated the restaurant owner to get access to her records, which could be illegal, though there's no reason to believe that they did anything but receive a tip and ask questions about it, uh, which is most definitely not illegal. Um, Try, but they, see if you catch the musical reference in this next paragraph. Which one? Getting an unconstitutional warrant without probable cause? Try that in a small town and you're in luck. Bingo. They didn't put the bingo. I put the bingo, but yeah, try that in a small town. Yeah, a lot of a a lot of freaking abuse happens in a small town, but it's usually those that are part of the clique. Right. It's not necessarily the average person that lives there. Right. Everybody else wants to just live their freaking life in a big town, in a small town. It doesn't matter. But somebody is abusing their power and authority pretty much in every town why because there's people that are complicit and allow it to take place instead of everybody respecting the social contract and everybody respecting checks and balances you get abuse pretty much in every town it's why we can't have nice things it's also why there are people invading other countries because people can't respect freaking borders or rules regulations etc Anyway, thankfully for the cops, they found a judge willing to issue a warrant entirely based on the vibe. And uh, that has her own history of multiple DUIs and driving without a license. And those incidents more or less disappearing is surely a coincidence, right? Right. 
man, the writing in this is almost at the level of snark that I am powered by. Um, so Judge Laura VR, I guess is their name, who was appointed on January 1st to fill a vacant in the 8th Judicial District Magistrate seat was uh, arrested at least twice for DUI in two different Kansas counties in 2012, a Wichita Eagle investigation found. VR, who was appointed to fill the seat this year, having previously served as the prosecutor for neighboring Morris County, has at least a couple of DUI arrests, according to the Wichita Eagles reporting, one in Coffee County um, and one in Morris County, same year. The second in Morris County came amid an unopposed re-election bid for Morris County attorney. So apparently it was stuffed away somewhere. Um, This is why (laughs) this is why we can't have nice things. Anyway, starting to think the issue of burying DUI records might be personal. As for the first arrest in Coffee County, the then prosecutor agreed to diversion agreement And what happened with that, Uh, I'll just summarize, it disappeared. They stopped going, they stopped talking to the attorney, they didn't pursue it, it disappeared. Um, Wichita Eagles reporting on this is so thorough, good thing it doesn't reside in the 8th Judicial District or they might find their offices raided. One hopes that the spirit of Joan Myers is taking comfort in watching reporters do their jobs so well, holding government to task without fear or favor. Now... My problem here with all of this really isn't anything that's said in here, but I want to drive home the point. Government is not a disembodied entity that's all seeing an alien. It's powered by neighbors. It's powered by the people sitting in the coffee shop next to you. I really wish that it would be holding people to task, even if they are part of the government. Because it isn't the government. It's rat bastards in the government that are abusing their authority. Plain and simple. If I was not a part of that clique and I said anything, I would end up in deep trouble. But if I'm part of the clique, I could go run over, I could you know, crash into a busload of nuns and I'd be fine because the mayor, the police, the DA, etc., would all be buddy-buddy with me because it's a small town and nothing untoward ever happens in a small... Kiss my butt. Abuse will happen where people are allowed to abuse. And abuse happens in the dark. And what shines a light brighter than anything? Somebody doing investigative journalism. Exactly. And it said one of the incidents had gone unreported. So like people don't even know about this. Yep. But I'm sure that the people who, you know, did this DUI, they're recalcitrant. They're really sorry. They'll never let it happen again. Oh, they did it twice in the same year. Well, son of a bitch. While they were under suspension from the first one, they shouldn't have even been driving. Right. Yeah. Finally, the last article for today, it's in the Hatch Ideas channel. Gig workers are making the homes of tip baiters on Google Maps. They're marking them because what ends up what a tip baiter is, is 
So there's two things here. There's two problems here. One is there's obviously, okay, let me, let me read this little snippet here. Many Americans are over excessive tipping culture, but gig workers rely on tips to get by. There's a multitude of issues with this whole story, the ecosystem around this society's acceptance of this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so let me, let me just get into this. Uh, Amanda Breen over at entrepreneur.com put the article together. What's what tip baiting is, is where in the field for the gig economy worker to deliver your food, it says, this is what you're going to tip. Let's say 10 bucks, right? On up. So if something is 50 bucks, you basically take 10% and double it. You got your 20%, right? So it's a $10 tip on a $50. So they go and they deliver it. But when you close the deal, because you got your food, you change the tip to four bucks or something like that. Now, obviously there is a mentality out there that says if you tip high, they'll perform better, <laughs> which is sad because if you are delivering something, you should just deliver it because that's your gig. And if you hustle more because somebody pays more, we have an issue because why aren't you just hustling? You know what I'm saying? So the, it's the pay to play. It's a chicken and egg problem, but I didn't even know this was a thing. Like changing out the tip to me is just inexcusable. True. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know that people did this. I didn't know that you could do this because it would, it's not even in my nature. You know, I, I tip really well because, because we have a culture of tipping instead of the employer paying people a livable with low wage. wages. Right. Exactly. Like I don't, if I'm tipping, I want the worker to get that tip. Like I cannot imagine dangling some sort of tip in front of somebody and then swapping it out. But that's why I said there's obviously a motive here. There's a rationale for why people would do this. And that's because they've, they've clued in on the fact that a person will hustle and be friendlier or do whatever to or get not that throw their food at the door. Yeah. Or <laughs> they tipped zero or whatever. Hey, I heard a knock. No, that was your food being flung directly at your door. It was a single knock because your cheeseburger is now planted suction cup <laughs> to the glass. Um, so anyway, it says tipping in general has become more contentious in recent years. According to bank rates, annual tipping survey, 66% of us adults have a negative view of tipping and 41 believe 41% believe that businesses should pay employers more, sorry, businesses should pay employees rather than rely on customers for tips. I'm in that camp, but I have had conversations with people who live in that world who, because of their demeanor, because of their looks, because of their charisma, whatever it is, 
they make freaking bank in tips. Right, and they'll never make that in uh, as a standard wage. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so you'll always have an element of that. Um, and people actually discount the source, the creation of tipping, <laughs> where tipping actually comes from. Y'all should look up where tipping originated and why it originated. Um, and it's just been perpetuated. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just a horrible history. Anyway, um, the, the real issue though, is that we have a mentality that is kind of conflicted in that we want people to get tipped because we know that they're not being paid what they should be getting paid. And the employer knows that you're going to be paying 15, 20%, somewhere between 15 and 20%. And the person delivering expects 15 to 20% because their wage is suppressed by the owners instead of what everybody should be getting is a wage that is on par with 15% higher than what they're getting paid now. Right? Like the base price for everything should be 15% higher because it's going to tips anyway. But some people don't want to pay that extra 15% because they think that the service was poor or whatever. They're having a bad day or they're just straight up assholes. But somewhere in this dynamic, we are continuing to accept that employers are not paying what they should be paying people to deliver food or serve food or provide a service or whatever it is that's tip bound. I think there's a lot more going on here. I mean, that is a huge um, cause of this, but I think consumers think of delivery workers as kind of expendable which mm -hmm. is not okay um and not i think there is an expectation from workers that they get tipped at a certain amount yes that's not necessarily okay because it's not the consumer's fault usually right it's because the employers aren't paying enough right. and then there's also i think consumers are just burnt out about tips altogether because you get requests for tips everywhere even on places where you don't really get any service per se and it's because of the way i mean it's not necessarily because a worker is asking for a tip it's because of the way the payment systems are set up true um yeah i had an example near hometown today where there was a request for a tip on a transaction that I'm thinking, I don't know what the tip would have been for. It was just a transaction. Interesting. Um, so I think all of those things are, are contributing to this. Yeah. We have a culture, uh, where some people would refer to it as entitlement because we have a culture of accepting that employers aren't, aren't paying employees what they should be getting paid. Uh, because it's offsetting the actual cost of business operations, but it's historically bound in people working 
as waitstaff, essentially, um, and not getting paid at all by the employer, they had to survive off of the tips alone. And there was a time, I don't know if it's still in any state still valid, that the the price was way below um, the uh, federal minimum wage. Like it, federal minimum wage was like $15 and they were paying $2.95 because tips, right? I don't know if that exists at all anywhere anymore, but we'll have to come back to it. Um, I find that tipping is all over the place. I actually, t I'll order something and pick it up uh, because the delivery is too long, right? Um, or it's, it's outside of the delivery thing and I still tip because I don't know if I'm an idiot or I'm just really nice or um, I don't want them to spit in my food, um, but whatever the case may be, <laughs> yeah, I tip all over the place. So anyway, uh, and it's costing me my Ferrari, damn it. Anyway, that's it for today. We always bring us back to the front page where I refresh that front page and we end up trying to find stuff. Um, there was an article in yesterday's uh, post hometown daily show where a teacher was a teacher was fired. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It wasn't a teacher. It was um, a restaurant worker was fired at, from a fast food restaurant. They were a, like a senior manager um, and they were given $250 million. And then there was a follow on suit that awarded them again um, $2.7 million. I didn't see that. And I'm like, man, and they were like a subway thing. They worked at like subway or something as senior management for an area. They were like a district manager. And, um, it was during, um, some riot and they were, they were scapegoated as being the person that was responsible for not like solving the problem. It was because two black guys were arrested for being in the restaurant um, and not paying for anything. And so the police were called and they were arrested. And uh, I, I know from experience, by the way, because the AI and I were in a restaurant once where two black guys were in the restaurant and the owner, it was the pizza restaurant, pizza place um, by the lake. And the, uh, the owner was getting mad that these two guys were in the restaurant and they were having a friendly conversation amongst themselves waiting. Um, and I think they had drinks, but they hadn't ordered any food and the owner got belligerent with them. And, um, the cops actually showed up and the, the two guys had got up and left and I actually went out and I talked to the cops and those two guys. And I said, cause the cops were, were patting them down and, and I think was going to arrest them for trespassing. Um, and, uh, I actually stopped the whole thing. And I said, I don't know what is going on here, but if they were trespassing, then so were, uh, me and the AI because we hadn't ordered anything yet. 
we were there the same time that these two people were there. Um, so I think that y'all should just let them go because I think that the owner is racist as hell um, and was profiling them because I was there just as long as those two. And um, the cop was like, okay. And the last thing that I know is they let him go. Um, and the, the two dudes thanked me. And I went back to that restaurant and grabbed my stuff and said, I'm out. I, and I never went back. And that restaurant actually was sold to somebody else. Um, I think because of that. So there, it's really, there's some interactions with society out there that people don't really see um, very often. Uh, and sometimes the article is right here in Omtown. Uh, so I, I like to draw attention to it, but we only have 10 to 12 articles every day. I've been pushing it to 12, um, because 10 just wasn't enough. And I don't want to spend five hours going through all of the articles each day, but there's so many that I definitely could do this all day long. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the next summer of streaming, I'll be doing that. Um, but there's so much y'all need to go over to hometown.com and just sit there and, and refresh that front page idle, uh, click on it and, and make a comment. You'll, you'll love it. I think you'll love it anyway. Uh, that's it for today. It looks like there's a lot of news. Um, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that might say good night. You can say good night. I normally do. Okay. Um, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.